If you missed any of the messages throughout the series, I encourage you to go back and uh, take a listen. Um, we've had several people listening. I'm not sure if it's all people or whatnot, but uh, um, it's, it's nice to see that putting it up is it's actually being listened to. So that's that's good. That's good. Uh, today we are on L of R-E-A-L. Uh, anybody remember what R stands for? Relationship. Good. Uh, e. Evangelize. A. Attitude. And L. Good. Leading or leadership uh, in there as well. Real or Ra'el, how we've done it, but... Uh, talked to my dad this week he said uh he said hey i listened to your message this week i said oh thanks and he said uh, i'm a little disheartened to know that you can't spell and i said yeah um you know he's the one that paid for my education so it's on him not on me uh, <laughs> we are on l leading and you remember we talked about this several weeks ago when we introduced this the series um and with the idea of discipleship and the importance of us discipling others as being an, an integral part of the Christian life, something that a Christian should be doing, a lot of times we focus so much on the evangelizing, which is incredibly important, um, but we don't focus on what's supposed to happen after we evangelize. We, we know we're supposed to share the gospel, but a lot of times in the Christian life we cut it off. At that point, I did my job, I shared the gospel, I passed out a track, whatever it may be, so I'm done. Well, that's not the Christian life. As a matter of fact, the Christian life is, is really made up of work all throughout the Christian life until uh, God takes you home. And at that point is when you receive your reward. You, you will receive rewards on this earth as well, but the ultimate reward comes for eternity. And the importance of the time that we have been given on this earth and how we're supposed to use it gets so often overlooked by Christians. And partially because it's hard. It's not easy work. It's not uh, vacation. We're, we kind of have this mindset that as a Christian, I'm supposed to float through life. It's supposed to be easy breezy. The reality is, is that's not the way the Christian life is designed. And, and that can discourage some people. But again, if you, if you understand that the, the result of obedience to God is lasting, eternal joy, we can then work hard in the life that God's given us. We can then obey and do the things that are not easy, breezy in our life. The Christian life is... Is, is meant to be full of joy. It's meant to be full of fulfillment. But it's different because our, our minds go immediately what the world tells us joy is and what the world tells us fulfillment is. And that's not what God says, I will give you. He says, I will give you lasting joy. I will give you a, a great fulfillment. But that doesn't mean that everything is easy. As a matter of fact, I've heard even recently someone say, uh, and I don't remember who it was, but it's a, a, a coach of the past, that, that said the importance of hard work. You will not enjoy it if you don't work for it. And the reality is, 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 is the Christian life is made up of daily um, responsibilities. 
And it's not a checklist. It's not like your mom, you know, when I was a kid, you had the chore list and you had the stickers. You got a star when you accomplished the, 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 uh, the chore. And, uh, and so we had these things that I think you got them from the library. But anyways, uh, another reason I'm anti-library. Uh, but you get these chore lists and you hang them on the refrigerator and then you buy these gold stars and you put the star up every day that you do your chores. And we get that way with Christian life sometimes where we say, well, I've got to mark off the chore. <laughs> it's not a chore. Yes, it's work. It's not a chore. To do the Christian life is not, a, well, I've got to do it so I can check it off. God is not pleased by that. God wants you to fulfill the responsibilities that he has given you because you love him. Not just purely out of responsibility. So many Christians waste their life as a Christian because their focus is still on themselves and it's not on God. And when we do that, when our focus is on us, we mark off the chore list. When our focus is on God, we receive the joy and the fulfillment that God says, I can give you if you do this properly. So many non-Christians look at the Christian life and see it as a um, no fun, right? Well, if I do this, then I'm not allowed to do this anymore, and I'm not supposed to do this anymore. And, I, and they see all the negatives, all the can't-dos, and they do not comprehend, and nor will they until they experience it, what God can do for them, how God's fulfillment uh, uh, takes those things in your life that are uh, bringing you uh, temporary joy and fulfilling the natural flesh, how God can take new things and provide for you not temporary joy but everlasting joy. And so when we look at the Christian life and the things that, that we are supposed to do, and we're just looking at four things in this series, and if we do these four things, it'll put us in the right place to do what God wants us to do, if we have the relationship with God that we're supposed to have. Yes, starting at salvation, but again, going far deeper than that. Uh, when we have that relationship, that proper relationship with God, that daily talking and walking with God, uh, we get to experience what God desires for us to experience. When we evangelize and we fulfill that, that commission that God says to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, when we do that, we receive fruit and blessing from it, yes, but we bring honor to God. And we help our neighbors, the ones that we're supposed to love. We help them receive and experience the relationship with God as well. When we go through our Christian life with the right attitude, and, and we talked about this, this is one of the, the biggest issues in Christianity, is doing the right thing with the wrong attitude. When we have the right attitude, then again, we receive from God the full blessings that we've talked about in 1 John many, many months ago. And then that brings us to L and leading, leadership. Some people like the term leadership. They want to be a leader. I hear it a lot in my workplace. We need leaders. And I always think to myself, you have no idea. <laughs> but uh, uh, we need leaders. Everybody likes that idea of, I'll be a leader. The Christian leadership is not a pedestal. As a matter of fact, it is a lowering. It is the perfect epitomation of, is that a word? Epitome of what John the Baptist taught us and inspired by God. 
that he must increase, but we must decrease. God says the first will be last and the last will be first. The world tells us be on top, run the world, be a leader, meaning be richer than everybody else, be wiser than everyone else, have authority over everybody else. And that is not what God teaches us. But a major part of the leadership that God desires for us is found in the Great Commission. And this is important. Matthew 28, look at verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them. This is his apostles, disciples. And remember, Jesus is the one speaking. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So where's the power? It's in Christ both in heaven and in earth. And in verse 19, he says to his disciples, his followers, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We see here God gives the plan for followers of Christ. Are you a follower of Christ today? You should be. If you're a Christian, you ought to be a follower. He gives the plan here to go, to baptize, and to teach. These are the three things that God gives. This is the Great Commission. This is the commission that God has given to the church. The mission that God has given to, to all of Christianity to be designed to go out from the local church to go out and accomplish. And we see here this, this plan and this mission and this command given to us to go, to baptize, and to teach. And this morning, I want us to focus on verse 20 teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's the leadership that God is seeking from us this morning. And in order for us to be real Christians, meaning to be really what God wants us to be, we have to accomplish the going, the evangelizing. Uh, the baptizing, it's, it's the, again, the, the symbol, the, the, the public illustration of what Christ did for us and what we've received. And then the teaching. It's part of the commission. And we need to fulfill it in order to be what God wants us to be. Lord, help us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the importance of the uh, command that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts the need for personal growth so that we can help others grow. And God, I pray as we conclude this series on what you desire for us to be, real Christians. Lord, I pray that you would grow us in these areas, that we would be what you want us to be, that we can be an example of you what you want others to be. Uh, but Lord, ultimately, that we can just simply obey you and what you've told us to do. So help me to present it clearly and correctly. Help us to receive it as you'd have us to, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look first of all this morning <clears throat> at this idea that we must understand as Christians who we represent. We're supposed to lead people to Christ. And I've said this over the last nine years um, that we've got to understand, we've got to comprehend who God is. We're not going to obey God fully if we don't know who he is. We're not going to follow God 
sacrificially if we don't understand who God is. Uh, and so we have to understand as a Christian who we represent. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Ambassadors, we act as a representative of God. What a lofty task that is. There was a time in history where God looked down at the world and he loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to the earth. And Christ was born of Mary in a little town called Bethlehem. Maybe you've heard the story. Christ was born. Uh, when he was born, he was laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And uh, They lived there in Bethlehem for a short time and then eventually they moved off and and he, uh, he grew up inside this home of Mary and Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter. And Christ walked on this earth as a 100% man and 100% God. And he came for the purpose of dying, right? And he lived his life and he had his ministry, his earthly ministry. And, and, uh, and he, he eventually was, was killed. He died on the cross, taking the weight of our sins. And then he was buried. And three days later, he rose again victoriously over sin, death, and the grave. And then, and then he lived a little while longer before he ascended into heaven. For those three decades, Christ was on the earth in the flesh. But he's not on the earth in the flesh anymore. And in that time, he, he gave for us an example. He gave us an example of how to be a child, how to, to obey our parents, how to respect authority. He gave us an example of how to be a friend, how to love people around him. He gave us an example of how to be a citizen and how to obey government. He gave us an example of, uh, of how to minister to people, how to treat the poor and the needy, uh, the fatherless and the widows. He gave us an example of how to teach and train people around us. He was the example. Now, since that time, since his ascension into heaven, he has given the command to us to be the example, to be the representative of Christ. He could, if he desired to, come back in the flesh. But his desire is that you and I embody who Christ was and what Christ established. And we are now ambassadors as Christians, as uh, a so-called little Christs. We are the ambassadors to the world, representative to the world of who Christ is. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Verse 13, this is a message that Christ preached while he was on the earth. Christ speaking, Christ preaching, Christ, Christ teaching and proclaiming. He says, ye are the salt of the earth. Matthew 5, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? And is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out 
and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are representatives of Christ. The Bible here in Matthew, Christ here says, you're the salt of the earth. But if your salt has lost its savor, if it's lost its uh, efficacy, it is no longer useful and should be tossed out into the street, into the dirt, to be trodden on. Then he says, you're the light of the world, and a light, a city that is set up on a hill, it can't be hid. And the same is true with a candle. You don't light a candle and hide it underneath something. No, you put it out so that it can uh, uh, put out its light, so that it can be seen, so that you can see. And he says, let your light shine before men. Let them see what God has done in your life. So they can glorify the same God that you glorify. When we look at who we are, we first have to know who God is. Who do I represent? Do I represent a God that is useless? That is a wooden or golden or metal idol that is inanimate? Do I represent a God that is alive and active and all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present? If I'm an ambassador, I have to know who I represent. And in order for me to represent him, I have to do as he has asked me to do. And he says, you're there to preserve your salt. You're there to give flavor. But if you've lost your efficacy, if you're stale, you're of no use. You're supposed to be a light, but if the light is hidden, what good are you? You see, if God is worthy, we ought to represent him like he's worthy. In order for us to lead, we have to live as Christ desires for us to live. We have to be salt that has savor. We have to be light that can be seen. For without it, as, as, as much as I hate to say it this way, we're useless. I've thought about this. Boy, being useless to God. Next week I plan on preaching a message um, being used of God or being used by God. And so we'll hit more on it next week. But if God looks at me and he says, Vince, you're supposed to be salt. You're supposed to be light. But your light is hidden and your salt is stale. You're useless. I don't want to be viewed that way by God. And we look at, we'll look at examples next week of this, but we are representatives of God. Who is God? He's perfect. He's righteous. 
He's all loving. He's all powerful. He hates sin. He restores sinners. There's so much that we could go on with this, but understand who God is because that's who you're supposed to represent. We are ambassadors of Christ. In order to lead other people to God, we have to live for God. And if we're not, we cannot lead. Number two this morning, not only do we need to understand who we represent, we need to know why we're supposed to to lead others, why we're supposed to disciple others. The easiest answer, as with all things, uh, at least that should be preached from the pulpit, is we're commanded to do so. The Bible says so. Uh, In Matthew 28, uh, verse number 20 that we looked at here to begin with, he says there, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's discipleship. God has, we call them disciples, right? He had 12 of them. 11 of them followed God. Saved Judas, correct? And so we see what God did, what Christ did when he was on the earth. He discipled them. He taught them what things to observe. He showed them the things that were... um, Tradition that didn't need to be followed. And he taught them the things that God desired for their lives. And he took these men from different backgrounds and he taught others as well. But he trained them on what to do and how to do it. And then when Christ was going to ascend to heaven, he said, now it's your turn to do the same thing with other people. He said, so I took 12 of you. Now you go out and find more people and do the same thing. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. I discipled you, now you go disciple others. And that's the cycle, it's supposed to be the cycle of Christianity. Evangelize, baptize, bring them into the community of of the, the local church, and then teach them what's next. Teach them how to live. Teach them what is right. Because when someone is first saved, they've got the Lord in them, the Lord to help them, but they still have a ways to go. They still have to learn. There's a lot more to the Bible than Jesus saves. And that's the greatest part of the Bible, but there's a lot more to the Bible than Jesus saves. And we're given examples of people who obeyed God and followed God and learned of God and people who did not. And we're told what happens when we obey God and when we don't. But someone has to continue to teach. You could say read your Bible, but the honest truth is there's a difference between reading and studying. And a lot of people don't understand how to study the Bible. They need someone that will help them. A lot of people don't understand how to pray or understand exactly what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation. That's the easy definition of it. But there is so much power within prayer. And we need to understand and we need to teach, how do I pray to get the answers to my prayer? How do I pray to receive the power from God? They need someone to teach them. They need to understand the things that we've got to put off and the things that we've got to put on. The Bible teaches us they need someone to help. And they need someone to train them so that they can go out and train other people. That's what discipleship is. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.2 says, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men 
who shall be able to teach others also. It's a passing on. We're not supposed... <clears throat> my understanding of, of Catholicism is the priest knows everything. Do what the priest says. Don't study it. Just do what we tell you to do. And listen, I've been in Baptist churches that fall under that same sin. The Bible teaches us we're supposed to know the Bible. We should not depend on someone else to do everything for us. We have to go out and learn. Well, someone needs to teach them. And as those things are passed on to you, you're supposed to pass them on to someone else. Why should it die with you? It shouldn't. Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with the wind, or excuse me, with every wind of doctrine, uh, by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby the lie and they lie in wait to deceive. He says, We're not supposed to be as kids that believe everything they're told. Do we have any young kids in here? I don't think so. Okay. I don't want to. Don't want to ruin any secrets. Um, kids, a lot of kids, not every kid, a lot of kids grow up and learn about fictitious people on holidays. And your philosophy of that, it's fine, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Um, they, believe you, they believe it if you tell them, right? If mom and dad say it's true, they believe it. And at some point in life, someone in school tells them it's not true. And then their little hearts are shattered. And they're trying to figure out, well, what is true? If mom and dad lied to me about this, what else did they lie to me about? Uh, is broccoli really not healthy? Uh, does spinach not really give me muscles? You know, those kinds of things. They begin to question all the areas of life. But as kids, you can, you can tell them just about anything. I grew up at camp, right? And we'd work with kids at camp. And we'd have hundreds of kids there. And uh, we would tell kids, you're having a good time. And they believed us. <laughs> It's 104 degrees outside. You're having a great time. And they go, yeah, we are. You know, a kid will believe just about anything you tell them. How many of you have a younger sibling you told was adopted? And they're like, ah. You know, you go through life as a child, and you're just, you're very quick to believe whatever you're told. The Bible says, a Christian. There comes a time and a place where you're not supposed to be a child anymore. Where everything that you hear, you believe. And I'll tell you what, in today's day and age, it's just as dangerous as it's ever been. Because there's YouTube and there's Facebook and there's other, there's just so-called preachers out there telling you, this is true, this is true, this is true. You're not supposed to be a child and believe everything you hear. Uh, specifically here in Ephesians, it tells you every wind of doctrine you're not supposed to hear a doctor go, oh, I've never heard that before. That must be true. And just blow away with that doctrine. No, you're supposed to know your Bible. You're supposed to know what God's Word says. And we are supposed to be teaching people the truth of God's Word. So they're not as children being blown away by the wind of every doctrine, but that they are grounded and secure, not in what you say, but in what the Bible says. And again, that's where we fail. As preachers, we've failed where we've said, this is the truth, believe me, this is the truth, believe me. And anytime someone says something different, we go, no, 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 believe me. Now listen, I, I sure hope I'm preaching the truth, 
and I sure hope that I'd be willing to stand on the truth if something different comes in that's wrong. But you're supposed to know from the word of God what is right. And we have to know it in order to teach it. And we are called to make disciples, to be disciplers, to go out and share with people so they don't get blown away with every wind of doctrine. Because there are men and women that are laying and waiting to deceive. Man, they've got this great get-rich-quick religion. It's getting them rich quick. But someday they're going to burn in hell. And the the money will will burn with them. Are we going to allow people to be swept away by that wind of false doctrine? We should, and we should love people enough to teach them the truth and to help them be grounded in it. Without education, we don't know false doctrine. We won't be able to recognize it. We've got to learn, and we've got to teach to help other people learn so they don't get swept away by it. That's why we should be discipled. That's why we should disciple others. We've got to learn. We've got to know. Um, But we're supposed to disciple others simply because God tells us to. Because there's danger in this world. And we should love people enough to teach them, to train them, to help them. Number three this morning, who do we disciple? Who are are we supposed to disciple? Uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We should disciple people who we love. Our friends. We should seek to to disciple them, to teach them, to grow them, to to show them what the Bible says. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Right after 2 Timothy. uh, Titus chapter 2. What a great chapter in Scripture Titus 2 is. Uh, It's involving um, somewhat the qualifications of a a preacher uh, here as well. But it says in verse number 1, Titus 2 verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience, There's a lot of New Testament teaching about men, leaders, um, who's qualified to lead and specifically in the church setting, uh, pastors, deacons, things like that. But it goes on in verse number three and says, the aged women likewise. And you see this when you're looking at, uh, if you look at the qualifications in Timothy and and you see the qualification of a pastor, it talks about the pastor's wife also and the qualifications which she's supposed to hold. And, And since I became a pastor, I've been much more passionate about this, but the pastor is given, again, as an example, and supposed to be an example, and you shouldn't look at the qualifications of a pastor and go, well, that's what he's supposed to do. Um, I don't have to do anything like that. No, it's an example. We should all seek to live according to those qualifications. Verse 3, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, Teachers of good things. For the purpose that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, 
keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And then it transitions young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing uh, all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, uh, or all people, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. What a challenging chapter in Scripture for the Christian. The aged men are to be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. Likewise, the aged women are to behave in a way that is holy. I grew up in Tennessee, and we hear a lot about ladylike behavior. Um, you know, that's not very ladylike. Um, they, you know, uh, be a lady. Uh, have some respect. <laughs> And, and, and sometimes we get so caught up in being a lady, which I think ladies should be ladies and men should be men. But God here says a woman should behave as it becometh to holiness. What is that? It's godliness. And he says here as well, uh, the not false accusers, not giving much wine, teachers are good things, for the purpose that they teach young women how to do it, how to be the same. And then young men, they're supposed to be Servants, they're supposed to be um, exhorting to be sober minded. They're supposed to be showing themselves good works uh, according to doctrine. And it all comes back to verse 10 uh, that they show uh, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. That's the purpose of discipleship to adorn or to clothe the doctrine of God in all things. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness or worldly lust, we ought to live, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. The world in which we live right now, this present time. We look to that blessed hope of the, the reappearing of our Savior who gave himself for us. Verse 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. What's our authority? It's the scriptures. Let no man despise thee. Who are we supposed to disciple? The aged men are supposed to disciple the younger men, the boys, those that are going to come up behind them. The aged women, I know we don't like that term, the aged women 
are supposed to disciple the younger women so that they understand and that they learn. And listen, understand this. Older people have wisdom in life circumstances. Older, ungodly people cannot teach and raise up younger, godly people. It's why it's so important that the aged men be what God says to be. And the aged women be what God says to be. Because if you think that you can live ungodly and bring up people behind you to be godly, it will not work. And the younger are supposed to come behind and learn and soak it up and then turn around and do the same thing. Teach somebody else. So that we can clothe everything in the doctrine of salvation so that we can teach that, that we are supposed to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and that we're supposed to live soberly, righteously, and godly. And we're supposed to do these things with the authority of Scripture. Go out and teach. I've met uh, several people older than me in my life, and I've heard people think that because of their age, that they can teach. And it's not the way it works. It's the aged that live soberly, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. It's the aged that live a behavior as becoming the holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Those are the people who can teach the next generation godly things. And I'll tell you what, and I'm older than I was when I first started pastoring, thankfully, in many, many ways, thankfully. But I'll tell you what, I've heard too many uh, older people think, hey, I've got age on you, you should listen to me. And God has taught me there is a respect that is to be given to those older. But just because you're older doesn't mean I'm supposed to listen. If you're older... And you're a true ambassador of Christ. I'm supposed to listen. God does not look down on this earth and say, well, you're old enough, so everything that I've said to do that you're not doing, it's okay because you're old. No! Our obedience is commanded by God until the day we leave this earth. And I'll tell you what, I've met some stubborn old people. I, I say that as respectfully as possibly. Stubborn, older than me people who said, You can't tell me what to do. You're right, I can't, but I have the authority of Scripture, and Scripture tells you. And I tell you what, we better be careful. If we get to the point where we refuse to listen to, a, to, to someone who's giving us Scripture because of an age. but we're supposed to disciple others. And if the older are supposed to disciple the younger, the older better be doing what God says. Or we're going to fail miserably in the commission that God has given us. Last thing quickly is how, how can we be prepared to disciple others? It's an easy answer, is it not? We have to study. We've got to know. We've got to know God. We've got to know who God is. We've got to know God's word. Acts 2 in the 
uh, uh, the establishment of the local church there, we see them daily studying God's Word. They were sitting around a table together eating and talking about God. And they were preparing and they were studying and they were talking and they were proclaiming and they were teaching and they were discipling. And, 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 and that was a quick discipleship, right? We're talking about thousands that got saved on the day of Pentecost. And then very quickly they turned around and, and as the local church in that town was established, these people who just got saved, they were actively studying the Word. And they were studying it together. And they were learning together. And then as new people were added to the church, guess what? They were eating with them and talking about God's Word and studying and preparing and teaching what they learned yesterday to the people who got saved today. How can we prepare to be prepared to disciple others? We've got to study. You don't have to be saved five years before you start training and discipling someone else. Just as the people in Acts, they got saved one day and they began to study and to learn together. And every day as new people were added, they brought them in. Here's what we talked about yesterday. Here's what we learned yesterday. Here's what we're doing today. That's discipleship. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And as a Christian, we're supposed to be doing that. As a husband and a father, I have been given the responsibility to lead my home. How do I do? Not as good as I should. So what does that mean for me? It means that I've got to get right with God. And I've got to start sharing what I know within my home. As a Coworker, how am I doing with my, my, my co-workers? Am I doing anything? It starts with evangelism. We talked about that. It doesn't end there. How about with my cousins or my aunts and uncles or mom and dad or whoever it may be? God puts people in your life. Take advantage of the opportunities that God gives you. God has placed you in a church Are you taking advantage of where God has placed you? Church has become a fellowship hall. The many churches, they show up and they'll sing some songs and there'll be a message and they'll see friends and they'll talk and they'll chat for a few minutes before and after and then they leave and they feel better about themselves because they went to church. Church is partially for that. I believe, I believe that church is here to encourage and to provide godly fellowship. And that's a, it's an important aspect of church. But in Titus 2, when God says the aged men and the aged women, he's not saying you've got to go out and find strangers to disciple. 
saying there are people around you that need discipled, that need someone who knows God's word to study God's word with them. And listen, not everybody wants to. That's on them. It's not on you. But God, he says, I, you're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And when they get saved, you're supposed to baptize them and, and, and bring them into the fellowship of the church. And then you're supposed to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Some Christians are great at evangelizing. Some are not. We talked about it last week. You can go back and listen if you missed it. After someone gets saved, what do you do? That's the downfall of churches who go out every week, and it's a good thing to go out every week and, and evangelize, and they, they rejoice and they pat their own back for the 3,020 million people who got saved on Saturday, but you never see them on Sunday. They've not fulfilled the Great Commission. Now, maybe they're more faithful in the Great Commission than we are because they're at least sharing the gospel. They're not fulfilling the Great Commission. The Great Commission is share the gospel, and when it's received, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, which is a bringing into the church, and then teach them to observe all things, disciple them, train them. I don't ever feel worthy to train someone. I don't know why that is, but it's, it's the truth. I don't ever feel worthy to train someone. But God says, I've given you the authority to do so. I've given you the command to do so. So go do it. Just like we make up excuses for why we can't evangelize, just like we make up excuses for why we can't have the right attitude, we make up excuses for why we can't disciple people. And God says, I don't care about your excuse. I told you to do it. Are we leading? We cannot live a real Christian life, the, the Christian life that God desires for us to live, if we don't have a relationship with God, if we don't evangelize, if we have the wrong attitude, and if we don't lead people. If we can do those four things, we'll be on the right path to do what God desires for us to do. Lord, help us. We're guilty. We all are of failing at times. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand our faults and our failures. And Lord, that we'd be willing to admit them to you and have them forgiven. Lord, I pray that you'd help us uh, as you've taught us throughout these last five weeks. That God, we would do what you desire for us to do. That we would be what you desire for us to be. Lord, last week you placed on our heart people that we need to share the gospel with. And Lord, I pray that as we are faithful to do so and as you give us the reward, as, as, as we're able to rejoice in people being saved, may we not forego the rest of our commission. But Lord, that we would lead. God, I pray that you would help us to be what we're supposed to be on our own lives so that we can lead, that we would be salt that still has efficacy, that we would be light that can be seen. Lord, guide our lives, guide our, guide our hearts and our minds so that we can lead. We can't lead if we're not following you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be more faithful in our own Bible time, but Lord, in helping others as well. 
And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed.